The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards and it is uh, up to the audience how good uh, Tuesday Topics will be um, this evening. Um, I think that that what I'm going to do to start with is outline what the whole show is going to be like so that you guys can think about where you want to jump in. But I'm also going to then spend a little bit of time talking about the first hour, uh, because while I was able to say a few things in my written introduction to this evening's show, I think there may be a little bit more that I want to say in terms of prov- providing some direction to you, at least about some of the things that I'm thinking about with regard to the pandemic. Um, I heard from a couple of people over the last week, pandemic again? I've heard so much about the pandemic, I don't want to hear about that anymore. And, and I think that's probably accurate, but I'm not sure that we're at the same point with the pandemic uh, that we've been in the past. Uh, as as things become more normal, as a larger proportion of the population gets vaccinated, what are the changes that are going to occur? And how do those changes themselves impact folks who are blind? Um, so um, what I wrote in, in my um, in my introduction was, so the first of them deals with life after uh, a year of pandemic. What kinds of disadvantages have people who are blind experienced? That's the first question. What do we need to ask local, state, national entities to do to make the next major emergency easier to handle? And I think it's important to pause there for a moment because I think that uh, unless we think through what we want to do, um, unless we think through what we want to do, we're not going to get anywhere. Um, I think it's very, very important for us to have an idea of what we actually believe went wrong with government responses and what we believe can be changed. Um, so I think, I think that that's the first element. Um, so the second question, as the pandemic eases, what can we expect as people who are blind? I think that's also important. You know, there's lots of information that seems to suggest that, um, what's happening in some places is that people are frightened to interact with blind people as a result of the pandemic. 
Um, if that's accurate, how do we fix it? What in particular do we need to do? So will jobs be easier or harder to find? The unemployment rate is higher. Uh, everybody else has worked from home as well. Do we have special advantages in terms of employment or do we not? Again, I think these are questions that we need to explore. Will services be easier or harder to access? I think it's, a, 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 again, an, another good question. Um, there are lots of other issues that I hope you listeners will raise for us. So that's what we're going to be talking about in the first hour. I guess the one other thing that I wanted to talk about is why it's so important for us to um, make decisions now. Um, it seems to me that unless we go to local, state, and national entities and say, these were the deficiencies that we noted, they're not going to care because we are a tiny minority and we have to be uh, pretty assertive if we want people to take our concerns seriously. I think there have been lots of issues where blind people uh, have been as, at a disadvantage. And I think it's going to be important um, for us to recognize that. So during the second hour, we're going to talk about ACB affiliates. And, 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 and I'm mentioning this now while Rick takes a look to see if any of you brave people have hands raised to either support or reject some of the issues that I've raised. There is, as usual, nothing wrong with any of you disagreeing with any of the positions that I've taken so far. And in fact, I would encourage you to do that. So, but during the second hour, we're going to explore the issue of affiliates. What's the difference between state and special interest affiliates? What's the value of each of those groups? Will there come a time in ACB where we don't need affiliates anymore? These are, these are all questions that I hope will get some um, concern when we get to the second hour. But I think that's given everybody enough time to hand raise. And I hope, Rick, that we have at least a couple of people who'd like to talk. Uh Yes, we do. Actually, we've got three. And let Excellent. me see. Let me see if I can find them. Deborah Armstrong is the first one. Deborah, Miss Deborah from Hi. California. Hi. Can you hear me? Okay. We can. All right. Well, I'm not usually long-winded on ACB calls, but this is the first time I've been able to participate on Tuesday Topics because you always have it when I'm cooking dinner and then when I'm eating dinner. So I listen all the time on ACB radio, and I want you to know that just because I'm not on the call doesn't mean I'm not paying attention. Thank but you. It's really hard to cook dinner and talk on the call because you don't know when you're going to get called on. So anyway... Um, you know, I think that the biggest issue right now that we need to focus on as blind people is public transportation. And let me justify that a little bit. You know, with COVID, we've had 
much fewer people riding public and paratransit. And what that means is that they don't get the funding when they don't have the people. And at least here in California, there are a lot of places where they've cut out bus routes, where they've uh, reduced paratransit hours, not in my county, but in other places they've reduced paratransit hours. In my county, they've certainly cut out bus routes. And in the nine Bay Area counties, that's also been a real issue. And so what I've been doing is I'm working with a coalition of other disabled riders, and I want to emphasize, guys, it's really important to build a coalition. As blind people, we are such a tiny minority. But if we can get together with everyone else who is unable to drive, who depends on public transportation, we might have a stronger voice. And I know my local affiliate, I'm chairing our transportation committee, but also I'm very active in this barrier um, coalition, which covers nine counties and cover is a cross-disability coalition. And I believe strongly that if we are not working on transportation issues right now, as we come out of COVID, we are going to be in a world of hurt as, um, you know, counties and states realize that they don't have the tax base they used to because people maybe have moved away or because they are spending a lot of all that money they spent on COVID relief is going to mean that they're not going to have as much funding for transportation next year. And now I've been as long-winded as I ever was on an ACB call, so I'm going to go back on mute. No, you're not, because I got some questions for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first one is, um, what particular transit problems did you notice during COVID for blind people? Uh, well, there were quite a few people in my group who had a lot of issues with wearing masks. They wore shields and things like that. That wasn't an issue for me, but it, it was a common issue that came up. Uh, another one was being able to social distance on the bus or feeling fear if you were on the bus or on paratransit that you weren't able to be far enough away from people and you really couldn't read how far away people were from you. Uh, the other issue was there's always a problem where sometimes a bus stop is not near a sidewalk, so you're kind of walking mm -hmm. down the, middle of the street. But that's also more of a COVID issue because, again, you don't know how socially distanced you are from other people. If you're a dog user, your dog may be a friendly beastie that may go right up to people. So that can be mm -hmm. an issue. Can. Um, what in particular um, do you think are the the, the specific things that we need to push for in terms of transportation um, after, after COVID? Uh, we need to research where our funding is coming from, and yep. we need to make sure that the quality does not decrease. I don't think we need to really worry about the social distancing thing. It's that problem's going to solve itself once everyone is vaccinated. But we need to make sure that bus routes are not uh, reduced simply because they're not good at publicizing those routes to the general public. We need to be on the local advisory boards for our local transit agencies so that we have input in how they decide which routes to cut when they do. Um, one of the things, one of the things that, um, that, that I've seen as, as an issue is a lot of the changes that were made as a result of COVID 
by transit systems weren't publicized in ways that blind or visually impaired people could get access to that information. Did you note that where you are as well? I think so. You know, the other problem is that um, it was mostly on the web and we have a pretty large constituents that are not computer users. We do. We have a lot of low-income folk, too, who are very frustrated. Just recently, the free rides went away, and they're charging for rides again. And right. that's not an issue for me, but it's a real issue for many low-income folk. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Um, and, I, and I guess the, the last question I'll ask you, and thank you very much for allowing me to sort of um, quiz you, is let's assume you're correct, and I think you are. Um, that there's going to be less money for transportation and paratransportation um, in in future budgets. Um, what what do we need to do um, in in order to justify to local, state, and national entities uh, our need for paratransit and transportation? Well, I'm kind of going to repeat myself. We can't come in just as blind people. There's not enough of us. We really need to make sure we're communicating a a universal message along with all the other people who routinely or even occasionally need to ride the bus. Mm -hmm. Um, Miss, Miss Deborah, thank you so much for your call. Yeah. I really appreciate it. See, we got you to talk even more. (laughs) <laughs> right. And now I can go make dinner and feel like I made a contribution. Thank you can. You. Oh, thank you. Mr. Rick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Connie Bateman. Connie, Please. another another Californian. Hi, Paul. Hi, Connie. Well, thanks for doing, doing this call. Um, so a year later. Okay. So what I noticed a year ago was I heard a lot about drive through COVID testing and drive through everything. And it's like, okay, well, that's great if you drive, but if you don't drive, that's not helpful at all. Um, And then when the vaccines came out, you still had to drive to get there. So I I think they could improve on that by perhaps providing some emergency transportation (laughs) services for for that kind of crisis. I agree. And I think you could, you could say the same thing about a lot of stores who had curb pickup, but yes. really didn't have um, any other method for dealing with things. And that's, there, yeah, are number that's of, thing. yeah. there are a number of people, I think, who in particular, in terms of banks, um, found that the only elements of banks that were often open um, were, uh, were drive-through things. Um, and some and, of us were afraid to, or not afraid, but not that that's, that's kind of a strong word. Some of us were reluctant, I was, I'll say, to go to the grocery store because of the social distancing thing. And also, mm-hmm. you know, we, we maybe we would get customer service or maybe we wouldn't because we were too busy. So we, you know, we're, a lot of us have been using grocery delivery. But the fine thing that I found frustrating is that if they run out of things, that, you know, too bad. Um I don't have the luxury of hopping in my car and going to another store. I mean, I guess I could have uh, things delivered from another store on the app, but it, it's, you know, that's that. I see that yeah. as a disadvantage. Well, I think it, I think it is. And, and you never knew what, what 
particular stores were going to be out of. For instance, there, there are probably a lot of blind people um, who are out of toilet paper for the first two or three months of the pandemic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the other thing is, I just retired from my um, teaching job. I used to teach English to adult immigrants. And the reason I retired is because I didn't want to do any more remote teaching. I did it for a while, but when they told us we would have to do it continue in the fall and with extended hours. I didn't want to do it anymore. My job was getting more and more technology-based and I'm getting too old to learn all this new technology. But I think that in the future, in terms of employment and education, you're going to see um, the remote, some, yes, some I, aspect yeah. of remote teaching or remote learning or remote working you're going to see that continue like our conventions are virtual i think you're right connie and yep. you know a lot of um a lot of people were were telecommuting anyway before covid19 and there was already distance learning for for education so i think you're going to that's going to continue and some people have asked if there can be some kind of hybrid model for our mm -hmm. conventions even you know partly in person and partly oh, virtual I, I i think that's almost guaranteed now so, Connie, mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of the future, um, what are you perhaps most concerned about as life becomes more normal? Well, I'd like to travel again, but my, my question is: Okay, what are we going to need? I'm talking about traveling outside of Sacramento, right. like you know, going on a cruise or getting yeah. on a plane and going. It's like, what are we going to need? Are we still going to need to be have uh, COVID testing, or if we, I got both vaccines, you know, will the vaccines be enough or are they still going to need us to get tested for COVID-19? I don't, I don't think anybody and, knows yet, but yeah, but it, they're, and they're I've very heard rumors good about this, And I've heard this, rumors about a vaccine passport yeah. and I'm not sure how that's going to work. I, I think they're, they're, it's, it's an interesting issue because um, there are some people who think it's the best thing since white bread, and there are other people who think that it's 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 uh, right there next to communism as the greatest threat. <laughs> yes. So, and the other thing I would like to start doing again is going back to musical theater and going back to concerts. Right. right. But that's kind of questionable because they don't want big crowds of people. And I, I think we're still probably going to have to wear masks for a while in that well, in those situations. It, it's it's interesting. I live in a in in a city where. The mask mandate is gone, and in a state uh -huh. where the where the mask mandate has been limited and really has only existed in counties where 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 they chose to make it a mandate, um, mm -hmm. it's now gone. And asking people when I'm out, I would say that we're now at a place where maybe twenty or thirty percent of people are are, are continuing to wear masks. Mm -hmm. I went um, to church in person for the first time this past Sunday. It was so wonderful because it's just, I'm sorry, but getting uh, getting online for a yes. worship service is not the same, especially when you live alone. You know? it, is, it is not much nicer to be in people. Some people were wearing masks because it was during um, a traditional service where they sang hymns and praise songs and there were a lot of seniors there. So a lot of people were wearing masks, but it's really hard to sing when you have a mask on. Or did everybody sing? Yes, um, because, you know, I was fascinated by the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral where there was a choir of four and nobody else sang. That's right. 
Yep. And only about this, 30 people there. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it's pretty amazing. Mm. You'd think they might have made an exception in, in El Prince Philip's case, but they chose not to. Miss yeah. <laughs> yeah. Connie, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rick. Yeah. Phone number ending two, uh, 2070, please. You want to unmute yourself? 2070. Lovely year. Just about to arrive. And 2070 is not responding. Okay, I'm, I'm unmuted. It took me a moment. Um, how are you there doing, go. Paul? Good. <clears throat> I met you a long time ago, I think, back in Vegas. I'm Kenny Johnson. I'm living in Hawaii now. Nice. Uh, but I was, I was living in Vegas at the time when I met you. I remember. Uh, I was, yeah. I was touching on the fact that people uh, were reluctant to go to the store and they didn't know if they were going to get the help or yeah. if they yeah. would have sent someone to take them around to help them shop. And that was a big concern of mine. Yeah. And so going in the stores, in the bank or wherever I go in, over here, it, it's been no change. They still come up, assist you, no problem. I, I'm really shocked at the interaction that the uh, and and their attitude. Work in the store. Yeah, and the yeah, their I mean, attitude is that, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have that aloha spirit over here, and that is so nice. It's not dampen that at all. And and you've gone to a, a number of different stores, or just one. Uh, Walmart, uh, the grocery store, the bank, um, and, and the assistants and people coming up to me and asking me if I need help. And well, they call you uncle over here when you're an older gentleman. <laughs> people on the street, are you okay, uncle? You need help, uncle? Uh, nothing cool has changed with that. Yeah. Nothing has changed with that. I was very, very surprised. That um, is so cool. You better yeah. be careful. So Every in, blind in person. That regards, I've been blessed. Every blind person in the country will move to Hawaii now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, 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 it's not a bad deal because you can't get lost over here. You just keep walking and you'll eventually get back to the other side of the island where you live. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. So yeah. what do you have any concerns coming out of COVID? Um, the concerns I have coming out of COVID is, yeah, like say, if, if it opened back, back up and we're able to hold conventions in person like we used to, yeah. how much of an effect is that going to have on rebounding uh, with the infections of COVID? Yes. Um, don't you, want you mean, that is, to take place too soon. Is, is it going to cause another spike, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's my gotcha. concern. That's my concern. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for your call, man. Oh, you too, Paul. You guys have a great, great evening, and thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Mr. Rick. Phone number seventeen forty-five, please. Hi, this is Dana Dishman, and I'm. Hi, Dana. Hi, I'm from Alexandria, Virginia, mm-hmm. and I recently lost most of the rest of my sight in the past few months. What That's I have tough. noticed now before, and I'm 76, okay, so elderly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I used to know how to work, well, how to type, okay, typewriter years ago. Yep, yep. But now with 
this crazy Zoom thing, mm-hmm. I'm having to learn how to maneuver, how to do the keyboard and all this stuff all over again. And in asking around, now, number one, that I know several blind people here in Alexandria, and I'm probably just about the oldest one of the ones that I know. There must mm-hmm. be other elderly people who don't know how to use a computer. So I've called all over the place. And recently, when um, I've been with XP now a few months, about five or six months, but and just joined your organization about Excellent. a month ago. Okay. Uh-huh. And so I wanted to get involved with asking the uh, area on aging what services they had for seniors who were blind. Uh, and in doing so, I've talked to both Alexandria and Woodridge, or Prince William County. Right. And they all say, uh, uh-huh. And so now, in the past few days, I've gone to the recreation department, mm-hmm. the school system, and saying, do you have computer training for seniors? And they don't. So now they're going to have to reinvent the wheel as of today. She's like, well, we're going to have to work something out. Yeah. Now, have, I, have you talked to the, to I, I don't know what they call it exactly in Virginia, but have you talked to the Division of Blind Services there? Yes. Yes, I have. And, and um, can, I have can they time. not, hmm? they can't provide you with any computer training, dear one? Well, see, my counselor had not been coming out until probably a few weeks ago, maybe right. a month ago. Right. So, and actually I'm about at the end of my time with him. So we were going to try to find someone who could train me on how to mm-hmm. use the, the Zoom and that kind of stuff. Right. Luckily, I have an aide who gets me on Zoom and gets me off Zoom. Nice. But <laughs> how are there other people in the city who have the same problem, who don't have computers? Right. So how do you, so uh, I, I guess I hear one of the things you're saying is that COVID has seriously impacted your ability to receive services and, and to get the things that you need in order to survive. That's right. And yeah. I'm with another organization called At Home Alexandria. Uh-huh. Some of their people will come into my apartment, but most of them won't still, even though we have the shots. Right. So, That's you know, interesting. So getting direct services at home is still difficult post-COVID. It yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And even with the churches, most churches are closed down. I go to the one and only church that I know of that still has, and, the, you know, we take temperatures. And, oh, yeah. and the way we sing is because one of the deacons, or deacons told me to get what's called a KN95 mask, which yes. has more point in it. Y- yes, it does. I move my my lips better than the flat ones yep mm-hmm. yep i use those as well yeah. thank you so much for your call i think your perspective has been really valuable thank you you're welcome and i think yep and i think we have somebody else already to talk with us yes we do pam coffee please pam? yes um i agree especially with what deborah and Connie said earlier, um, in Alabama, public transportation is pretty abysmal anyway. I mean, it is a car 
oriented state, statewide. Uh, there is some public transportation, but even for those who can see, it's just not real good. And they cut back on the routes. And when the fixed routes cut back, so does the paratransit and all that kind of mess. And now, did even that, did huh? that happen during COVID as well, Pam? Oh, so uh, the, when the when the fixed routes cut back, the paratransit cut back because that would surprise me a little. Uh, I think some of it did. I don't okay. use I don't use paratransit. Um, I use Uber when I need to get somewhere mm-hmm. independently. Uh, but the thing is, even Uber and probably Lyft as well. A lot of the people who normally would drive for them were spooked by the pandemic, and who can blame them? Uh, and so there were fewer Uber and Lyft drivers, so your wait times were longer. You had yeah. to plan ahead if you wanted, and it's still like that. I think um, there were lots of reasons why that happened, though. I'm not sure that they all had to do with people being spooked. I think. It had to do with the fact that demand for Uber and Lyft fell precipitately. And that and, might be part of it as well. But and I think the what, other so the other yeah. thing that happened is they simply they simply cut contracts with bunches of their drivers, um, you know, and, and, and really left them in the lurch. Yeah. And here it, it was hard for people to especially at first, it was hard for people to get COVID testing because so many of them were drive through. And if you didn't Mm. drive, you didn't get there. And even with the vaccine, uh, there people who are homebound. And I, I know of at least one person who is, she has not been able to get the vaccine because she can't get, she's not only homebound, she's bed bound Uh and she can't get, to a place to get the vaccine and people still can't bring it to her. There's and now, ju- and, and they were going to start a program here of distributing the Johnson and Johnson to those who were homebound because it was easier to transport. Well, now that's been paused. So uh, people are having problems with that, but the, other thing that uh, I saw here was people had difficulty with voting back in November. Mm-hmm. There was so much confusion as to, okay, are they going to have to vote absentee? Are they going to go to the courthouse, which is way downtown, uh-huh. and uh, have someone witness them voting um are they going to be able to do this are they going to be able to do that well i got fed up with it after a while and i thought okay let's just hope i don't get covid doing this i'm gonna put that little mask on and i'm gonna go to the poll and i did and i used the accessible voting machine and it Uh went very very smoothly but there were people that could not vote because they could not get to a polling place or yeah. 
Yep. They, I think there's a lot of fear associated with voting as well. I think you're right, Pam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very hard. Now, as far as the the groceries and stuff, as soon as things shut down March a year ago, I started having groceries delivered, and I'm still doing that. I'm, they're still, uh, every week I'm having, uh, having now, them delivered. Do you do that with, with an app or by phone? I do it with an app. I, I use Instacart. Excellent. And it's, it's really worked out very well. Very few glitches. Oh, the very first day there was one, and there was a there were some things in the app that were not as accessible at that point as they could uh-huh. have been. And I waited two hours on, or almost two hours on hold for customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has really worked well. Um, and I'm still doing church online. We have in-person limited, but everyone is spread out. And, you know, it's just, if you're sitting in a sanctuary and you're six feet from anyone else, it's hard to even know when they stand up and sit down for a, a <laughs> it is hard. or for a it whatever. Is, it, it is and, hard. And choir, I'm, I'm normally a choir member, but what we're doing now is only eight singers at a time and mm-hmm. they're spread way out in the law. Well, gotcha. you don't want to hear me sing period, uh, especially <laughs> with that few singers. Yep. So unfortunately I have not been able to do, um, you're not one of the chosen ensemble. ones. Ms. I'm so- not one of the chosen. You don't want, you certainly wouldn't <laughs> want to hear me do karaoke. <laughs> So what are you most concerned about, Pam? And this is the last question. What are you yes. most concerned about with regard to um, with with regard to the future? That's a very easy question because I mean I've given it tons of thought. My concern is that things open up too quickly. And I think uh-huh. they already have. We're just not being told about all the places where the where the rates are going sky yep. high again. Yeah. And I'm very concerned. And and yes, I've had the vaccine. I and that was another adventure. I had a dickens of a time <laughs> getting an appointment to get because there were forms online that were not accessible or there was something not working at any rate. There's such and a so, huge amount of difference uh, depending on what part of the country you live oh, in. Oh yes. In in terms of the way that um, people who are blind are treated. Um, yes. In in Florida, uh, you know, I was I was lucky because I had I had folks who could get me from place to place. So I've had both of yes. my shots as well. But yes, but there are other places where, um, you know, and I'm thinking of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, for instance, where oh folks really have reached out to blind people and tried yes. to do everything they could. Um, yeah. to enable them to find places close to their houses oh, where they can get shots. That's wonderful. And, and I finally did find one close. So that's excellent. I've gotten both of mine. And, but what I am worried about is, or concerned about, is um, things opening up too quickly. And, of course, we don't know how well the vaccines are going to deal with the new variants of this stuff. We do not. And... I'm, you know, you just, you don't want to see 
cases going right back through the roof and more and more and more people dying of it. Oh, you know, ending up yep. on ventilators and all that. I got so, you. Miss Pam, thank you so big. much for your call. Thank you so much. Terrific yes. call. Thank you. Excellent. Mr. Rick. Phone number 6638, please. Six six three eight. Yes, this is Beth Fazio from New Mexico. Hi. And um, I had some concerns. I well, first of all, I agree with the lady from Alexandria mm -hmm. that said that uh, she couldn't get computer training. Uh, we can't either. Um, our senior center. I live in a very rural community, first of all, here in New Mexico. The only really functional communities are um, the bigger cities, Las Cruces, Albuquerque, Roswell. Right. And I don't live anywhere near those. Right. And last year during during COVID, when it first came about, they shut down completely our paratransit and the fixed route bus service, which... wow. A lot of people commute. There's many, many more commuters than there was in the 70s, 80s, and even 90s. They right. commute to go to work, and they kept saying, well, our ridership is low, our ridership is low. They did this for almost four straight months. Wow. And, 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 like, and aren't they ever going to open up? Did, so did the only guys... way to get around here was to take taxi cabs. Now, and did those you guys, cost money. They do. Did you guys talk to the city council or anybody about the fact that, that, that in effect they were depri depriving you of transportation? Uh, seems like I'm the only outspoken blind individual in this town. <laughs> A lot of them have um, wives or husbands to drive them, but they won't drive anyone else. That's not, it's not nice, is it? No, not really, but um uh, and the, those of our those of us who who need that service um especially okay it not only affected this county but another Lincoln county, and then, like I say, the commuters who commute to right, right. back and forth to work uh yeah. on the fixed route buses, yeah. So Ms. And they Beth, kept last... saying our ridership was low. They had threatened to close paratransit before COVID, about right. two and a half years before COVID, and a bunch of uh, visually impaired people did show up then, and other people, Good. other people with yeah. other disabilities, showed up to the city council meeting, and they so they didn't. But then uh, they didn't notify anybody when they closed it. They said that. Um, well, it came from higher up. Okay, who's higher up? Yeah, well, exactly. from Santa Fe. Oh dear, Miss Beth. What but are then you yet, most, what what are you Santa most Fe concerned about in terms close. of the future? Well, I'm concerned that the elderly won't get the services that they need. I think um, that's a good point. Like. And not only the elderly, the, the visually impaired or anybody who doesn't drive, um, mm -hmm. 
here won't get the services that they need. So, so one of the other things we can say then. They're still about, not open on weekends. About COVID in general is, is that it has probably made the dependence on being able to drive uh, much more important than it ever was before. Yes. And then to go grocery shopping, they had senior citizen grocery shop. That was at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, and then you have to find a ride to get up there and you have to, you know, and it's tough. Miss Beth, thank you so much for your call. Yep. Oh, I was going to say, I don't have a computer, so I don't use Instacart or anything like that. Yeah, so you have to figure out a way to get out there and get your food, or else you're going to be eating a lot of paper. <laughs> exactly. Uh huh. Miss Beth, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rick? Yeah, Christine Hunsinger, please. Chris, hi. Okay, hi there. Um, I think the biggest issue is the whole communication issue. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't have to do just with blind people. It has to do with old people. It has to do with lower income people. It yep. has to do with all kinds of people. Um, I My family is a big enough group of people that when it came time for um, COVID vaccine, we all got together. We parsed out each other and we said, OK, when the alert comes that the county has slots, let's all hit the phones or, or hit the uh, computers and see what we can do. And so we all had everybody's names and we all started with somebody else other than ourselves. Now, in the beginning, the county website was bad enough that I couldn't get the whole thing done before all the all the slots were taken that day. But eventually they got to the point where they would let you um, hold your slot once you picked it at the beginning of your of your adventure for 15 minutes while you went through the seven pages of. Yes. The information. Now that that worked well, and mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't find any real difficulty doing that. Uh, it happened that my niece got my slot for me before I did because she's a real computer weenie. I mean, she's got she's <laughs> right. got her you know masters in computer sciencey kind of stuff. Nice. So, but we all got together and did it that way. But the communication issue, the state website was such that when it first opened up, everything was on a map. Well, you know, you can't tell anything about what's you, on a map. You, you cannot. No. And, 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 and I think that's actually, that, that's actually a point that we need to probably emphasize. Um, there wasn't a lot of care taken, particularly in the beginning, um, to make any effort to make the websites that were being put up for um, signing up for testing or for signing up for vaccines accessible. And it really wasn't until people started screaming that it's not okay that people began to make changes. Mm-hmm. But but not only with this kind of stuff, but then with the medical appointments and everything, and there are people talking about how you can do your online medical appointments. And we saw that article that the lady wrote about her dad who had always been pretty savvy, but he was in his 90s, and to juggle um, a phone and a this and a that to make right. the online medical appointments work. So it's it's not just it's it's for everybody, and they have to come up with ways for communications to work as a two way a two way street. I I've just moved to a, a new city and 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 have started using 
actually three doctors who are all part of the same system. And that has some real advantages um, in that once you've filled out the information once, it, it's populated for the other doctors as well. But the amount of information that's now required every time you're going for an appointment, not just the first time, but every time is unbelievable. I had um, I had my daughter with me this evening and it took her and she is a, she's again, pretty computer savvy. It took her probably 15 minutes um, to, to fill out just a, a regular appointment request because they have so many questions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, and I've, I've always said that they make things more complicated because they can. Exactly. Chris, are you going to be around for the, for the second hour? No, I have another meeting to get to. I am so sorry because I would really love to have gotten you involved in the affiliates question. Well, what I may be able to do is do, no, I can't because they're both Zoom meetings. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do two Zoom meetings at once. I can do a Zoom and a phone one, but not two Zooms. Yep. Yep. Miss Chris, thank you so much for your call. Sure. No problem. Excellent. Mr. Rick. Linda Faust, please. Yes. Hi. Um, I live in the suburb of Massachusetts, um, Sudbury. Uh-huh. And I know you're from Massachusetts, so you've heard me say that before. Anyway, uh, this COVID thing. and, and um, Okay, let me just say briefly that before the pandemic, I had my issues because of the being hard of hearing and blind and people not saying who they are and right, feeling isolated right. and yada, yada. Yes. It's, you know, it's become worse since uh, the pandemic. And I am very grateful <laughs> that I never had to get tested for COVID because I live in um apartment building with a bunch of people over 65 and a resident coordinator and so forth. And, uh, well, to make a long story short, nobody seemed to know where you'd go to get tested if you don't drive. Uh-huh. So. Okay, so that was, thank God, enough to do that. And as far as the, I've gotten vaccinated twice, but somebody did me a favor from uh, one of the agencies in Massachusetts. Uh, you know, I was desperate. I called up. I said, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm visually impaired. Uh, I don't have a ride. I don't know where to go to get tested. I'm having trouble trying to figure out the, uh, fill out the information, yada, yada. And uh, luckily... This person found me a ride uh, with a lovely volunteer, and we both, you know, got tested at the same time. I mean, I'm vaccinated at the same time. Excellent. So that was good. But some of my concerns about during the pandemic and after the pandemic is just about isolation, okay? Um, mm-hmm. Number one, my sister, she refuses to take the vaccine. She used to help me out with a lot of things. We used to visit, go shopping, but she doesn't want to be around me because um, she well, she doesn't go anywhere. She she and her boyfriend run the grocery store in and out as quick as they can. You know, they get their groceries and they're done. And all they do is go to the doctor when they have to go for a walk in the woods. That's it. They don't go anyplace. I haven't huh? seen her in over a year. My sister, you know, uh, and- talked to me. Talk me into why, moving up here. Yeah, why did she not want to get the vaccine? Um, <laughs> it's political. A lot of oh, it, you dear. know. She yeah. feels like it's not safe, and there's 
people going to get sick from it and I better mm -hmm. find a good doctor. She sent me an email uh -huh. saying this could save your life. But I had already gotten the vaccine and she wrote me back and said too late. So, uh -huh. so I haven't been in touch with, uh, with her. That's um, a shame. And the senior center that I'm involved with. Um, I mean, you know, that I go that I, it's, it's been closed for over a year. Um, and they still, you know, they still have answer the phone and do what they can. So forth, so on. Um, but they have a volunteer service where they have somebody do grocery shopping for you. And I had this lovely woman that I've become friends with who's gotten groceries for me. You know, I give her a list, you know, mm -hmm. and she, That's you know, excellent. Make all that stuff. Well, now she won't get the vaccine. So I have to start over with somebody else. You which, sure do. And, um, and it's a shame because I, uh, I guess, I don't do changes too well, but it seems like the lady that took over that did it for the first time today is okay. It's just that excellent that, you know, okay, whoever the, the town had to sign away, everybody, all the volunteers and, and, and recipients of services at the senior center uh, had to sign a waiver saying that they would comply with all CDC guidelines. You know, it's a liability form. So my friend wouldn't sign that form, and that's why she can't be a volunteer there. So one so, of the questions, one of the questions that's flying around now, is if if you're if you're in a senior center uh, or in a in, in a care facility, either one, um, should you be required to take the vaccination in order to keep your job? That, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, I would guess that the people that work at Sudbury Senior Center would have to do that, you know. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's been an interesting question because um, there, there, there are some, some entities. Uh, um, it's, it's come up much more in the UK than it has here. Um, but in the UK, um, they're seriously thinking about making it a legal requirement if you want to work in a care home that you that you're completely vaccinated um and it it makes sense to me so my last question for you dear one is how in particular has um your hearing impair impairment operated during the pandemic how has it made it worse or better okay well <laughs> for a while uh well anyway the transportation made it worse um, it did. because there's no paratransit or buses and they have the seniors yeah the senior center buses like the shuttle they had and the senior yeah. bus they stopped running but now they got of a course. senior bus for one person at a time certain days with medical yeah. preferences and yada yada yeah. yada and uh i'm in i'm involved in an uber beta program that the town pays part for mm -hmm. uh bloody nice. blah uh, but you have to wait for you know they don't have a lot of drivers out that that are going to come to suburbs so you have to make time to do your appointment or or, or i would gotcha. just take straight uber or something different because yep i don't have the patience or time sometimes to want to deal with the, mm -hmm. the hassle <laughs> excellent thank you so much for your call dear thank you mm -hmm. mr rick kathy casey please kathy from new york from new york yeah i'm from new york all right all right, yeah. now good to talk to you, and I'll, I'll try to make this brief. And uh, I received my COVID shots. I got both of them. All um, right. 
ironically, how I got them was I had signed up. We were told by the Albany County Commissioner of Health, said, call your your primary if you have an underlying condition and have them put you on a list. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. So I did that. And um, I signed up with the state thing. They had a county uh, prerequisite, you know, pre-registration thing. I signed up with that. I signed up with the state. And this was on a Friday afternoon. I got my date. Two hours later, my primary office calls and says, "Um, we're scheduling you for Monday. That that, this was a Friday, the following Monday. I'm like, Okay, fine. I'll take it. So then I had to call the state back and say, "Uh, take me off, cancel it. I got another appointment." Exactly. So, uh, you know, I I certainly and a lot of people are not canceling if they manage to get an appointment. They're not canceling their first one, which yeah, I think that's, is that's, that's, too that's bad. not fair to anybody else. No, it's criminal. So uh, yeah. So um, I, well, anyway, it, it, I'm all set. It hasn't been a huge problem in in Florida. It's been interesting. You know, I've got I've got a lot of interesting things to say about the way that Florida has operated with COVID. But in terms of um, but in terms of uh, in terms of getting appointments and in terms of getting shots, um, they are really pretty open. And um, I think that for for a lot of people I know for their first shots just turned up at a place and got them and then only need really appointments for their second shots. So it, that was really pretty cool. Oh, okay. So Miss Kathy, what are you, what are you most concerned about with regard to the future? Well, I mean, I know the numbers are going down and the people are, been getting vaccinated but like the previous caller said that people don't want to get vaccinated they're afraid of it they're uh you know they don't want to get and it's those people that are going to hurt it for the rest of us yeah now are Uh, you concerned that people aren't wearing masks most people well i gotta tell you funny real quick story i went ran out of my house today Got into paratransit, got halfway to where I was going and never had my mask. Never put a mask on. Oh, no. Forgot to bring the mask out with me. Fortunately, where I was going, I knew they had masks. So I said, you guys got an extra mask? (laughs) Oh, dear. I was was okay. (laughs) But that is the first in a year. That's pretty good. (laughs) Well done, Miss Kathy. Kathy, thank you so much for your call. All right. You too. Have a good one. Yep. Mr. Rick? That's it for now, Paul. Excellent. So you two, do you have do you have some comments in the first hour? We've we've almost survived it. <laughs> yeah, just you know the whole transportation thing has been interesting here in the Boston area. Um, you know, we as advocates uh, started making a lot of noise because the uh, the MBTA was going to shut down uh, a ton of routes, mm-hmm. and what was interesting what was the local politicians started arguing on behalf of their constituents Uh and they raised so much ruckus that all of a sudden not only did some service get restored everything got restored and nice and and part of where they got the money from was from stimulus money 
Right. Now, how that got directed to them, I don't know, but they ended up with like a, you know, 83, $85 million uh, funding. Uh, it's not uh, too shabby. No, it's, it, it wasn't shabby at all. So, 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 you know, it was kind of interesting. It was the whole time, you know, that, that these politicians would, would get up in a meeting and argue on behalf of their constituents. We're sitting there saying these jerks, you know, they're, you know, they're, this, you know, these were all people that could drive. They're all able-bodied people. It was all, you know, people, uh, a lot of it was from the, um, the highbrow neighborhoods and, you know, um, it, it wasn't at all the inner city type people right. at all, you know, it was, right. it was the people with money <laughs> could influence the politicians and so yep. on. And, uh, and lo and behold, they ended up solving the problem for us by, yeah. by them so, getting their way. So. Um, is is there something in 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 the move towards normalization that concerns you, Mr. Rick? Um, in in the um, yeah, well, actually, there the you know there's there's a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, just the um, there's still a, a whole lot of uncertainty. I mean, I mean, I think I think all, so too. I think yeah. we're we're all wanting to uh, you know it's funny when Kathy told a story about leaving without her mask. I mean, I I did that the other day too. I just ran out of the house, <laughs> and and I've been homebound for for pretty much the entire year. I mean, I haven't gone out hardly at all, and been getting out a little bit to help break down my mother-in-law's house. But uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it it it's beginning to feel you know uh, very normal. And, yes. Uh, in a way, um, and uh, you know, it, it, the concern is people are going to just you know take their guard down and right. And um, that's and, very much happening here. Yeah. Uh, as I as I was saying to someone, you know, maybe maybe thirty or thirty five percent of the people in Jacksonville wear masks now. Yeah, yeah, and that that's scary. I saw someone, my younger brother went to, it's called Oak Glen, where there are a lot of apples, orchards, etc. This is in the mountains mm -hmm. here. Yep. And not one person was wearing a mask. Yeah. And oh, I'm, I that scares it. me. And I wear a mask because yeah. you don't know. There's so much we think we know, we don't yes. know. Yeah, I agree. So, Lair, anything you'd like to contribute to, to this discussion? Anything that hasn't been brought up? No, I, only just that I hope that people will use some common sense. Yeah. I, I don't know that that's possible in some cases, but I I would drastically love to see us get back to normal. I just hope that it actually can happen because we need so much to be back to normal. We need we need the country to get back to the way it was if we can. And And if we have another problem like we did a year ago with so many people, uh, not paying attention, etc. I mean, right. we could have this. This could be an ongoing problem for years, no matter how many of us get vaccinated, and and still might be. It, it's there, yes, there's no reason why yeah. it couldn't. Unfortunately, and it's sad. One of the one of the things that uh, that concerns me a little bit about the future uh, is that um, we. We, we may get to the place where we say that we've that we have distributed enough vaccine for everybody to be vaccinated in the United States. 
But the fact is, we're still talking about probably somewhere between 25 and 30% of the folks who say they don't want a vaccine. Yeah, right. Um, is that is that going be, to be um, enough dissenters to make herd immunity impossible? Mm. And and I yeah. guess the other con- the other concern I have is when when we when we get everybody in the United States vaccinated, even if we do get to the point where we have herd immunity, um, do we continue to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world because they're so far behind us? I don't know. I'm not sure I know the answer to that, but I, I do know that I don't think we have the kind of knowledge we think we do. Or if we do, yeah. it's not been open to all of us. I mean, my second shot was Saturday. So am I supposed to be immune until October or November? And then does it all happen again? Well, it's interesting. They're talking much more now uh, about requiring kind of annual booster shots, which are which which are which are sounding more and more like flu shots because they'll probably be somewhat changed um, for each new year to account for the new variants of the of of the of the virus. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, because those variances are coming, or at least they say they are. Yep, just like the flu. Yep, it's different strains guys- of the flu every year. I want to thank everybody who participated in our first hour. You guys, um, you guys did a tremendous job of persuading me that we can do this kind of a program. Um, I was frankly at the beginning of the show kind of scared to death um, that there would not be enough of you um, to sustain a show. And I, 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 I brought this big long poem. You know, it's about. 200 pages and was perfectly prepared to read it um it was either that or ask rick to sing and i couldn't make you guys deal with that so and i was gonna sing with pam coffee you know the two yeah. of us would do some karaoke so. that's right that's <laughs> uh, that would have been a different tuesday topic <laughs> yeah, it would have been. It would have so now we come to the second hour and we're going to talk about affiliates um and I'm going to, again, um, go through um, what we had talked about or what I had written about these, um, the second hour. Um, and, and I am talking through my head because I can't seem to get down to um, a lot of, I, I'm lo- noticing, by the way, there's still a lot of questions that we didn't really answer in the first hour. But that's okay. So our second topic is more directly related um, to ACB. What's the difference between a state affiliate and a special interest affiliate? We'll talk a little bit about that in in a few minutes before we open it up so that we're sure that we're uh, on the same page. There have been times in the history of ACB when it was felt that special interest affiliate votes should only be allowed to count for half of their members. And there's some really strange systems in some states, including Florida, um, where um, many special interest affiliates actually have no votes at all. (coughs) Excuse me. And of course, in the Federation now, um, special interest affiliates don't have any votes. They are now 
round tables uh, rather than what they used to be. There used to be kind of organizations, but now they're round tables and they don't have any say in what happens at the national level, it, 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 except insofar as their affiliate votes uh, are happening. So we're holding 13 ACB elections during the convention. How should affiliates try to see how their members want them to vote? So that's one question we can look at. Some people have gone so far as to say that once we've developed a method so that every ACB member can cast his, his or her or their votes, do we any longer need affiliate votes at the national level at all? So during our second hour, we will explore some of these questions and see how you guys feel about the state of our affiliates and what their future might look like. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's talk for just a second or two about the difference between a state and a special interest affiliate. A state affiliate is actually pretty straightforward. And of course, the extension of state affiliates are local chapters. That whole organization, um, that whole organization then consists of um, the, 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 the kind of national board going down to the state boards going down to the local chapter boards and that's that's all one large element of the same special interest affiliates on the other hand are national organizations who for the most part in the past anyway did their business during convention and it's really only been in the last two or three years that we have um, done a good job of getting special interest affiliates more involved. Um, before special interest affiliates were started in ACB, um, maybe in the mid-70s for, for most of them, um, the votes were pretty straightforward because you had state affiliates that had uh, an immense amount of control within ACB <laughs> and really the national organization at that point was relatively, relatively powerless. And that's the way state affiliates wanted it to be. That was the whole point of ACB was to create an organization which was absolutely and categorically in the control of the affiliates so that the center couldn't dominate. Now, um, though I don't have statistics to back up what I'm about to say, I would be prepared to bet hard cash dollars that the group of members that has grown the most in the last year is at large members of ACB. That is folks who are not members of a state affiliate who are not members, at least initially, of a special interest affiliate and who join as at-large members because that's the cheapest and easiest way of becoming members of ACB. Now, I don't know if somebody from the national office or elsewhere 
wants to jump on the line and tell me I'm wrong, I would certainly accept correction. But who knows? So that's the background, if you like, for what I think are the affiliate questions. Let me just go one step further, and and people, please start raising your hands now if you'd like to jump in on this issue. Um, Let me go one step further and say, one of the things that's going to happen this year is every member of ACB will have the right to vote in each of the 13 elections. Um, Now, there will also be affiliate votes because constitutionally that's what we have now. But are we to the point where, say, three or four or five years down the road, it will be sufficient to allow each member of ACB to vote? Do we need Uh, Do we need any longer to have affiliate votes? If we do, why? And if we don't, why not? So I think that's about as much background as I'm prepared to give everybody. So, Mr. Rick, do we have any raised hands? Yeah, we have this guy, Brian Charlson here. Mr. Brian, welcome. Hi there. Um, So, hmm. This is all a puzzlement, as they say. We, we know Brian does not have an opinion about this stuff. No, no never. never. Never did. Never did. One, one of the great things about being involved with ACB for as many years as Paul and I have been uh, is uh, we've seen certain almost fads come and go over time. And we've yeah. seen the impact, uh, the unintentional impact of actions down the road and one of those unintentional impacts was the seeding of special interest affiliates Uh Uh, i don't think our founders including derwick mcdaniel which was who was one of the strongest proponents of the special interest affiliate idea ever thought um, a time would come where they would hold as much um, political sway as they have grown to hold. Right. And that it created such an interesting twist on the one person, one vote concept. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm a member of five special interest affiliates because I truly do care about their issues. Braille Revival League, Guide Dog Users, Library Users, uh, uh, BITS, um, was it Diabetics in Action, these kinds of things. And I served on the board when a few of these affiliates came to the board to seek affiliation. Do you remember the debate when Friends in Art wanted to go from uh, one evening event to a special interest affiliate, Paul? I do remember. That was one interesting debate. And, 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 uh, and one, of the, one of the issues that was raised during that debate is why should you be an affiliate? I mean, what, what, what gives you the right to be affiliate? What, what kinds of issues do you have to raise? I mean, you, you, you're, you're essentially performers. What, what, why the hell should we recognize you as an affiliate? And what does... And what does blindness have to do with being a musician? Exactly. 
And so we had the uh, look at the difference between blind lawyers, blind students, blind teachers, blind government employees. These have something in common, right? They represent a group of individuals who have a common set of issues associated with the conjunction of their profession and their blindness. And should we talk uh, about B-flag? <laughs> oh, yes. Then there's the joy of things along those lines. Um, for that matter, uh, well, if there was a Braille Revival League, could we, would we then have to have you know, League of Large Print um, just because... Well, we if you're we, we one are you against the other <laughs> we do we have cclvi exactly i think um, florida i think that that's part of it i think florida is the only state however that has that that the council for the concerns of the totally blind now there you go that was a fun one as well wasn't it, it so was. we have all of these kinds of things and then we've got but again the one man one vote pardon me, one person, one vote scenario kind of went out the window because you were counted as one in each affiliate and each affiliate got a uh, vote for every 25 members during the, the record votes held at ACB convention. Yeah, uh, up so to 625 then. Yes, with a, with the yeah. top limit that was put in in right. order to assure that no highly populous state could dominate the national organization. Right. There'd be a limit to how many of those votes you could take to the table. Right. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking to Jim Olson, our former uh, treasurer and former CFO, and I can't remember what other things he held, but he was the one who kind of held onto the numbers about elections. And mm -hmm. he assured me in no uncertain terms, though we didn't always announce the division that is, how many uh, affiliate votes went to a given town, uh, a given candidate, the standing vote went to that. We used to only allow the aggregate number to be announced, but uh, that only lasted for two or three years before finally we said, what the hell? And the fact of the matter is that the standing vote and the affiliate vote uh, went almost always the same direction. Had we only counted one and not the other, it would have gone uh, the same way anyway in, in terms of a given election. Not quite so sure the same thing would have held true when dealing with issues of um, resolutions and amendments to the Constitution. We never did discuss those kind of issues. But it still ends up with this issue of we pride ourselves in a being a democracy, finding what a democracy is in terms of voting. Is it one person, one vote? Or are we, in fact, a Democrat, Democrat Republic, Democratic Republic, similar to the United States? Everybody has one vote in a national presidential election. But... That's the only time they have one vote. And even then, you're voting for the electoral college. So it's really not one person, one vote. It's how right. that vote is calculated in your state and represented in your delegates to the, to the electoral college. So 
how does one go about defining this and how important of a principle that is for our organization, I think, is something well worth discussing. So, I Brian, also did- have to say that, that all of this idea that, um, um, how do I put it? The concept of the remote vote. You know, we talk about things like, uh, should we allow um, for individuals to be able to vote proxy? Send their vote to somebody who can then cast it as if it were their own. Of course, my answer to that is never. Oh, I wouldn't want it. But I'm saying there are other ways to do voting that have a long history Mm -hmm. in society. Yet, if you're going to open the door to one discussion, you better be prepared to open the door to all the possible. Uh, I think the National Federation of the Blind votes one vote per affiliate. That's correct. There isn't a standing vote of those present or one vote per member back home. You know, and we had one vote per affiliate. And we had talked earlier about the fact that special interest affiliates uh, don't have any vote any in in the federation right uh i can't remember i think at one point they called them round tables they might call them committees um that kind of stuff but they would break they would give opportunities within the organization for people of like mind on specific issues to get together and engage in activities including suggesting resolutions of interest to their particular right Right issues and those kinds of things, and I think they call it committee day, where there's a there is actually a day set aside for those folks to meet. Exactly. So mm-hmm. there's all of those kinds of things that, that play a part in it. And when we were meeting face to face, one of the biggest controversies was not how they voted, but how their programs competed with one another mm-hmm. for time. Well, yeah. and I think. Yeah, and, and I think it's still an issue. Problem. Sure, but, but less I, so. But less so when we're meeting virtually. I think that there's a, a greater chance. How many different rooms can we have open at one time at this upcoming convention, Rick? Isn't it six? I think it's eight. Yeah. Well, well, trying, about, trying to keep it at six, but yeah, six. Yep. So six special interest affiliates could be holding programming at the same time. Yeah. So you're still in a situation where you have to pick which one do I go to when I'm a member of three of them that are meeting at this moment in, in time. And they're going to hold their internal elections. So I have to decide, am I going to be All right. at the Lua election or am I going to be at the BRL election? So I, I need you to put your money where your mouth is, Brian. Number mm-hmm. one, um, should we do away with special interest affiliates or at least their right to vote? I truly do believe that we have to reorganize the way we go about dealing with voting. We're never going to put the cat back in the bag for remote voting. Just no way. This whole world has been tipped on its head about things much more significant than this in our small organization. But it's going to apply to virtually any concept of, of democracy in some fashion. So now you've got to say... Is it relevant to do that? And I would say, generally, no. I think I think the time has come and gone 
for special interest affiliates to vote as if their interests would not otherwise be represented by the body as a whole. So number two question, state and special interest affiliates this year um, in, in our virtual election look, look more, at in general, more, more and more alike than, than, than they have in the past. In the past, if you wanted to, you could create systems in your state affiliate where you could actually do a secret ballot for the way you were going to cast your affiliate vote, as well as the way that you were going to cast your um, your um, your standing vote, or, or the equivalent of your standing vote, but this year, state and special interest affiliates, it seems to me, are much more like each other than they've ever been in the past, and I think it's going to be very difficult for either to get much information that will be helpful from their members before they have to make decisions about how to, how to cast their affiliate votes. Would you agree with that? I would say that's less an issue early in the convention, holding only voting on elected positions. Right. They're, they've been carefully crafted so that if an affiliate chooses to do so, after nominations have been made and speeches have been made, there'll be enough time before the ballot box closes and the delegate vote gets taken right. for affiliates to arrange for members to contact right in some kind of whatever telephone tree or whatever but the same uh, requirement and then, and really exists for state affiliates and special interest affiliates yeah yeah there's no difference between the two correct absolutely correct. separate issue and, separate and issue. that's that's interesting because that's not that that's not really the case in face-to-face -face elections all right Last question. Should we do away with affiliates altogether? Negative. I, I, I firmly believe that what makes the, the biggest value of ACB is not happening at a convention. It's happening through association with one another. And mm -hmm. if we're all just associating with one another virtually as our only means of doing so, which is the only way and all members at large entity can exist, then you've lost the value of getting together and swapping stories where there is no significant hierarchy to the process. You're just getting together as a bunch of friends around the table, learning from one another, supporting one another. Um, it also eliminates part of the ex reason why state organizations themselves would exist. It would only be for legislative huh. kinds of purposes. So my answer is, I think the strength of ACB is, in fact, the local, the local affiliate, the state affiliate, the chapter. That's, huh. that's truly the strength of ACB and what it brings to the individual beyond just legis joint legislative action. Mr. Bryan, thank you so much for the call. Well, I hope you feel free I to jump in later if you're minded. The end of the meeting to get some conversation going. Excellent. Mr. Rick? Yeah, Kathy Casey, please. Kathy from New York. I'm back. Um, I'm glad. Well, the 
my theory or thoughts on special affiliates in voting, they should count. But I'm going to take it a little one step further. When they ask for affiliate votes, you end up voting twice because you're voting for your state chapter or your state yeah. affiliate and then voting for your special interest affiliate. Yeah, and as Brian so said, that you, you can actually have five or six or seven votes. I think I'm a member of six special interest affiliates now. Right, right, exactly. So I'm a member of three, so there you go. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's my thought on that. And as far as eliminating affiliate or special interest affiliates, absolutely not. Um, because like it said that, you know, we're there for a specific purpose yeah. and we're trying to either legislatively or educationally <laughs> to the public to, um, get our thoughts out there. So Kathy, if, if I'm, if I'm right and the group that's growing the fastest within ACB is at large members. Will there come a point um, when at large members um, are the majority uh, and, and they will eventually vote to do away with the village, do you think? I don't. I think the reason you might be getting more at large members right now is because of the COVID and doing I, the community events. Yes, I think that's, I they, think those are both the major reasons. You're right. Once they stop the community events, which they won't, uh, according to Cindy, they won't. But I don't if think they, they will. do, then your membership is going to go down. No. And unfortunately, yep. you're going to see um, a combination virtual and in-person convention yep. starting next year. Because that's, right. that's the only way you're going to keep the membership up. Um, I mean, I like to go in person, but doing it last year virtually was, was kind of nice. I mean, I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised. It, it was nice. So. Miss Kathy, thanks so much for the call. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Nice. And I think there's somebody else ready to talk with us. Yeah. Phone number 2165, please. Hello, Paul Edwards. It's Pam Shaw. Hey, Pam oh Shaw. God. What Pam, a stranger. Oh I am so glad to hear from you, dear one. Well, I am actually a raving fan of Tuesday topics, but usually don't get on because the line's so long. So oh. tonight, um, what I wanted to share, Paul, was when I was on the board, when some of these special interest uh, affiliates came into being, the one question that we asked without exception was whether or not this would bring in brand new members to ACB. And the, the answer was generally, oh, yes. So I think to some degree, we weren't really anticipating you know, where we'd have this situation that we have right now, but nonetheless, we do have it. Now, one of the things to think about is for those of us who are members of, um, you know, various special interest affiliates, we are actually paying dues twice to or, ACB. Or five times. 
<laughs> you know, that's a good point, too. As, <laughs> as many as necessary. And so I think sometimes we attach um, our voting privilege to having paid dues. Mm-hmm. And so without that, are we talking about a new kind of um, due structure? If it's only, you know, if it's not connected in any way to our special interest affiliate. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think it's a good question. And there are a lot of people who, um, who like you and I, are members of several special interest affiliates who, who uh, at some point probably say to ourselves, you know, we're, we're really we're really not getting a lot of benefit from all the money that we're handing to ACB <laughs> for these memberships. <laughs> and, and ACB is collecting memberships five times or so or six times, mm-hmm. depending on the number of affiliates we're members of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I certainly hear that. I think eventually um, somebody's going to demand that, that we do a better job. States have tried to I mean, in, in Florida, we have a very strange system where there are primary and secondary memberships, and you can only vote in your in, for one of your affiliates, and that has to be declared your primary. And all the others, you can pay dues as much mm-hmm. as you want, but you don't have a vote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I, one other thing, too, Paul, I also think about the fact that when we think about the difference between special interest affiliates and state affiliates, of course, part of it's geography. But again, as was said earlier, a lot of it had to do with making sure that there was a way and a place where people of similar interests could come together. I, now, I, we did have um, another structure that we have used in the past, for example, Committees took up yes. some of that kind of thing yeah. differently than affiliates. I know because that's what happened with multicultural affairs. And mm-hmm. you may remember there was a bit of a discussion about whether or not that should be an affiliate or a committee. But we felt, and I continue to feel, that the committee structure best meets the needs of um, what that's all about. Yeah, and, and actually it, I mean, I've been surprised at the number <laughs> of people uh, or the number of committees who have chosen to become affiliates, which which I think in some respects may have lessened um, the power they have within the organization. I think so, too. I absolutely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Good to all, be here. All, almost. I'm not going to let you go yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you two of the three questions I asked Brian. Okay. Um, do you think that uh, special interest affiliates should have the number of votes they're allowed to cast cut? I didn't hear your last word. It just sort of cut off. Cut. cut. That is less, you know, there was... Yeah, I see what when, you're saying. When, when you and I were around, there was talk at some, at some point of saying that special interest affiliates should be counted as half votes. Yeah. Um, I'm not in favor of half votes. I right. tend to think that's going to cause more confusion than is necessary and may right. be uh, interpreted as a type of disenfranchisement. So that's why I would not tend to support that. Right. Question number two. Once we get to the place where we have finally instituted one man, one vote across the board in ACB, not only, but I think after this year, we'll, we'll have hybrid elections where still every that's member right. of the organization will have the option of voting. Um, whether they're a convention or not, do we need affiliate votes? <sighs> I really do think we will still need them. I, I really cannot imagine, as Brian sort of talked about, kind of 
that kind of thing that almost looks as if we're going backwards. And and I might say this, that when I came into the organization, I was not a person who had this experience, but some people were concerned about experiences they had had uh, while they were members of the National Federation and didn't want right. to see some things repeated, even if they were, uh, quote unquote, innocent. So I think that's, that's what correct. consideration would be. Yeah, I think that's correct. Ms. Pam, thank you so much for your call, oh, and I'm course. so glad you're here. Uh, thank you very much. Take care. You too. Mr. Rick. Yeah, Paul, no more questions right now. But, you know, one of the things about um, whether or not the affiliate votes uh, will be needed in the future, um, another way to look at it, I mean, the more people that you bring into your voter base, yeah, I mean, you know, in the in the old days, right, only the people at the convention could vote, right? So uh, who are, you know, the, the individual votes. So you had, what, three or 400 of those, right? Okay. Now you could have as many as 1,000. Well, you could have more. I mean, or, we... Or, yeah, you, you, you could have more, but it's going to be more than the, what you had before, right? So, sure. So, so that block of votes is going to have a greater significance than the affiliate votes, right? Well, just, just mathematically. Well, right? I mean, the affiliate the, the affiliate votes are a fixed number of votes, right? They are. They are. Yeah, but but I think um, I think that, that there are a couple of points that we can make about that. The first one is. I think there have been three, count them three, um, individual votes um, in the history of ACB uh, where the standing vote and the affiliate vote was different. Right. Um, there, there haven't been any others. Uh, I, I think, I, I don't think we'll know until after this election this summer. Um, exactly how much of an impact opening the vote to, to, to the whole of our membership is. Um, you know, we, we, we can perhaps gauge um, a well-established um, election run by guide dog users feels fortunate to get 40% of its members voting. Um, if we get 40% of ACB's members voting, and I'm not sure that we will, I, I think we'll be lucky to get 30 but if we get 40% of ACB members to vote, um, we'll probably be looking at um, 6,000 votes. Right. Um, and, and, and that's a heck of a difference from the, the, the relatively small number of votes um, that we end up with. Right, right. Um, in other ways. Right. Now, I think, I think Brian's hand was up again. Was it? Let me, let me oh. see here. And and Carla Hayes is up there too. Um, let's see. So maybe we should let Carla talk first since she hasn't had a chance yet. She is from Philadelphia or McMurray, Pennsylvania, I think. Carla, you can tell me if I got that wrong again. I don't see Carla Hayes. Wait, let me open up Brian and I'll go find Carla. Very good. Mr. Oh, Bryant. Oh, there she is. Okay. So we either have Brian or Carl. So I think you're I think you're right, Rick, that absolutely just the very nature of 
election where every individual, whether they're or voting remotely can vote, is going to dominate the result of an election. Would it be any different? Uh, I don't think there's going to be any scientific way to make that determination. It simply will be dominated by the standing slash remote vote. Yeah. One of so, the the issues associated with that, of course, is uh, is there a difference in the way in the uh, not so much the motivation, but the understanding of the underlying issues right. when it's not just driven by those who live, breathe, and drink ACB, right. which tends to be the people who go to convention. And, and, and it also tended to, the, to be the people who voted, of, of course, because they were there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you tended not to spend the money to go and then not show up on the floor during the votes. Or, I mean, there's certainly the... the or, or, there's nothing or, wrong or, with the... Or you know, are the affiliate votes reflecting the will of the affiliates, or are they simply mirroring the members of the affiliates who are at the convention? Exactly. There, there's no question that these are the kinds of things we have to work out. You know, it's what, what's that phrase? You know, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Right. So right. I mean, we I, have I to think be prepared to deal with the results. I think there are a number of state affiliates, if you will, movement. Right. I think there are a number of state affiliates, Rick, who've, who've made a pretty concerted effort to find ways of being sure that both parts of their votes um, are A, secret, and B, representative of what the people who are there want. Yeah, um, but, but, you know, I, states that but, do block, block voting, you know. Well, the, the unit rule. Yes. The um, unit rule, I, I don't see yeah. how that's representative. It isn't. Um, it isn't. At, but, but isn't it also true, guys, that um, when we see state affiliates do their best to figure out how to divide their delegate vote, it's 99%, and that's, that's, that's not a scientific number, that's a general attitude, general kind of concept. Mostly what they're doing is polling those present, not yes, they are. trying right. to represent those who are not oh. For the most part, they are not. You're correct. So, so, so So that's what you're saying, Rick. Right. So, so there would there would would not be a disparity between the standing vote and the affiliate vote if that's the dynamic. Right. And 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 yeah, I mean, all all of the statistics support what you're saying. Um, I I guess, but I guess the 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 question is, can you say the same thing for special interest affiliates? I mean, clearly there have been times in the history of ACB, and Brian and I have have been present at many of them where the special interest affiliates were, um, what's the right word, dragooned, I think is a pretty good one, by political forces um, in, in, into supporting a particular candidate or point of view, um, not, not because the members of those organizations wanted those things, but because the leaders of those organizations wanted political favors that they felt they could get. Certainly. I mean, the, the, fact, of yeah, the, sure. the fact of the matter is that during the roll call, well, one, during elections, elections happen when, at a time when the hall is the least occupied. Yes. Right? Nobody who's been to a convention can deny that. Two, that after, when 
you call the role, you call the state affiliates and then the special interest affiliates. So if you're back in your row, uh, busy paying attention to how the roll call of affiliates is going. And are counting the votes because a lot of us do. Yes. You can say, well, let's see, I am uh, uh, guide dog users or Randolph Shepard or uh, citizens with low vision. (laughs) Special interest affiliates with large blocks of votes. Yeah. And you'll find that how they cast their vote feels more like unit rule than when a state casts its vote. There's less division of how the votes are being right. cast. And right. it's harder for the members of those affiliates to find their delegate to express an opinion. Right. Because right. you're not you're right. sitting in state delegations the way you and, have and, for and the actually, entire convention. And actually oddly enough, it it may be easier um, it this year for folks to let their special interest affiliate know what they want than it is it in face-to-face conventions where half Without the time there is no one sitting in let's say a brl seat or a lewis seat at the back of the room uh, and by the way i think that should be illegal i think there there ought to be a requirement that at least one member of of every special interest affiliate needs to be in a designated location I think the delegate needs to be in a designated location, correct, and not say I'm sitting with my affiliate, my yes, state affiliate. Exactly. I think come that should find be, me wherever it is. I think that should be flat out illegal. Yeah. Well, again, we're also, by the way, there is. I cannot imagine a universe where we are going to do either all uh, remote voting or all having to be present to vote. It's going to be a hybrid. I agree with that. Kind. And if it's going to be a hybrid, even more thought has to go into how is that going to not just logistically be doable, right. but are we comfortable with the possible results of such a system? Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm not sure I know how to design a hybrid. Um, I, I, think, I think essentially... Uh, a hybrid may be impossible, and we may be stuck with what will amount to um, the voting system we're using this year. Could very well be. I understand your state affiliate holding its convention when? Uh, two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Yeah. Is going to hold a hybrid convention. Yep. And unlike ACB, where we're all limiting ourselves only to election for office, you're not doing elections at all, but you're doing resolutions and constitutional amendments. Correct. In that fashion. Correct. Talk about but, taking the taking the tiger by the tail. But the interesting thing is, if if we we, we are doing elections, I think we are. Um, the interesting thing is, each um, there there is no standing vote, Florida <laughs> um, affiliates get to make all those choices. It really looks much more like um, an NFB voting system than it is like an ACB one, which is fascinating. You know, one of the other things I've been thinking about, not just the election side of this, special interest as as contrasted with uh, state affiliates, is we have a number of state affiliates who have special interest chapters. Yes. 
Florida is one such state, correct? Right. Yes. Um, I know Kentucky is, Texas yeah. is, California is, and Missouri, here in Massachusetts, yeah. we have a guide dog users chapter, and right. we have a student chapter. Yeah. And that's all fine and good until it comes to dues paying time. Uh huh. Now you end up paying that ACB dues three times. Yes. Once to the national special interest affiliate, once through them, once through your state affiliate. Yep. And then the dues for that chapter itself. And right. so some of these special interest affiliate dues can be quite onerous. Yeah, they end up be, they end up almost having to be higher if if um, special interest affiliates want to develop a treasury at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So under those circumstances, I I think some real uh, time should be spent by, by ACB as we move forward, holding. Uh, well, in the old days, you'd have a salon yes. where you would get together and talk over an idea or a finite group of ideas as a group and just kind of knock ideas around and let yep. people make my friend Rick over there. He loves making a straw man and then kick the hell out of the idea with an <laughs> understanding that the goal is not, not to try to protect the straw man, but to improve yep. on the straw man through thought and, and uh, concept. Yep. So Mr. we need to Brian. do more of that. And that's two yep. topics, isn't it? It is. Mr. Brian, thank you. Thank you again. Um, and did Car we find Ms. Carla? Yes, we did. We did. And I apologize for that. Hello, Ms. Can you Carla, hear me? Can you hear can. me? We can. <laughs> I'm, in, I, I'm really enjoying this discussion um, because I'm in multiple affiliates. I, I've stopped counting how many. Exactly. And I've been the delegate for, for Ivy a lot of times. And if anybody's ever observed me on the floor, um, I always try to make an attempt to um, divide divide the vote um, yes. according to the members. And how we work it out is they know who the designated delegate is. And usually I'm sitting over there in the delegation and they call me on the cell phone, you know, or I'll call, you know, the officers or whoever. And I'll say, how, how do you vote? Or they'll call me. And I really attempt to divide it. And um right. In Pennsylvania, when we're sitting there, um, they'll count people that are there or and or call people or people call them. And so I think we make a um, concerted effort. And one thing I'm when I was um, in, um, you know, I'm, I'm the chair of the parliamentary team. We do the resolutions for Pennsylvania. Um, we um, passed a resolution way back in the 90s doing away with the unitary rule because we thought yes. it was unfair. Right. And then the other thing I just want to say is um, I would hate to see the, the special interest affiliates go away. It might interest you to know that I was in ACB long before I knew I was in ACB. I, I went into the National Association of Blind Teachers, NABT, right. what it was called back then. Way right. back in 1982, I was having some problems when I was student teaching. And somebody um, got me in touch with NABT. And they helped me out. 
And I didn't realize, you know, I saw something, said, oh, ACB, well, what's that, you know? And I didn't know what it was. And then a few years later, a member of the president of our local chapter got me involved in that chapter. And when I went to ACB and PCB, I discovered all of a sudden, hey, I'm already in ACB. This is what this Braille Forum thing's about. And if the affiliates would go away, um, it would be sad because, um, you know, a lot of things that happen at the convention, there's a lot happening in the affiliates. A lot of people go not to just sit around and be eyeing and neighing all day. Correct. So and um, and I and and then affiliates bring forth resolutions about things that are important to them and yep so, I, um, I think that's, that's one important. of the major values of special interest affiliates that we hadn't talked about Carla so thank you and I just want to say you guys do a bang up job on this program I don't always call and I'm not always even able to listen but when I do I'm always rewarded and I just you ought to be commended thank you Miss Carla you're you're the best. I think McMurray, Pennsylvania has a pretty cool citizen, too. Oh, thank you. I jokingly <laughs> call it the great metropolis of McMurray, Pennsylvania, because nobody exactly. heard of it. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Carla, thank you so much thank for your you. call. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rick? Yeah, phone number 6638, please. Um, this is Miss Beth. Follows you again. I just wanted to say our... State, I would hate to stay, see the, the special interest affiliates go away because, like, for example, our state affiliate is not a very strong one. There's maybe 14 people, and right. uh, it seems like our president doesn't want to reach out to, I don't know, yeah. she hasn't been able to grow the the yeah. chapters or whatever New, and New um, Mexico's a tough most state, of us are members of yeah. other state affiliates other other special interest affiliates right. excuse me because right now she gets to go to convention but right. uh, i don't know why you know she doesn't seem to have an interest in reaching out yeah, well I, I think and i know I a few years again, ago they almost lost their charter membership i don't know what happened Right. I think I think again that's that's one of the reasons why we need to have folks like you who would then be able to to say to say the national office, look, I'm concerned about um I'm concerned about uh the, the fact that my state affiliate isn't growing. Can you help? I have told them they were supposed to work with they were supposed to work with her because I guess her and the uh Previous uh, Vice President uh, Charlson had been good friends. Well, uh, COVID came up, you know, and yeah. then and then she is in a wheelchair. Our president is in a wheelchair, yeah. and um, I don't know if, but if well, if we'll she's see. not interested in growing the membership, um, you know, give it to somebody who is excellent, or let somebody else be president. Miss Beth, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Yep. Mr. Rick. Phone number 2165, please. Yep, you're almost there. Yeah. 2165, you're unmuted. Okay, thank you. Hi, it's Pam again. Yeah. Um, I had this terrible almost dream, so we'll call it something like that. What would our national convention be like without special interest affiliate programming? I think it would dis- it it would be much the poorer. 
I think so, too, because I, I think there are a number of things that we have to remember that our convention does, whether it is virtual or in person. And one, in addition to providing us with that opportunity to act, interact with each other, there's kind of a whole world out there that gets to learn some things about um, just the, the diversity of who we are and how we think and, and what we do, but also to see right. that fundamentally – we're human beings. And, and I think there's a piece of that that I'm not sure how we would be able to um, retain. The other thing that comes to mind is I know from um, being on the resolutions committee that it has right. taken the work of the special interest affiliates to bring some things to our attention right. that I think got there because of special interest affiliates and might not have gotten there um, if they were no longer in existence. Yeah, I mean, we... So, most special Brian, interest Brian's interceding here for, one of those for things. just a quick yeah, moment. Brian, I want to ask Pam a question if I could. Mm -hmm. Pam, oh. do you do you think that for a special interest, and I'm going to I'm using the word affiliate in quotes. Okay. For special interest entity to exist, it has to be a political entity with votes and that kind of thing. Couldn't BRL still? get together as like-minded people at a convention, putting on programming that highlights Braille issues without it becoming uh, an affiliate on the floor in the voting process and creating this kind of one and one twenty-fifth vote per person kind of scenario? Sure. And, and let me tell you why I say that. And, I'm, and I may be appearing to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but really I'm not. I think for some of the interest of ACB that what we're doing now with committees doing special types of programming is sufficient because every kind of, for lack of better language, concern doesn't have what I would call political implications. But some of them do, and I think that's where the challenge comes in of a strategy of making sure that they have that ability to bring people together with those same issues, to talk about them, and then to submit something to the resolutions committee uh, you know, for consideration. So I think if we still made sure – see, we'd still have to have these processes in place, even if we didn't call them that. There's still going to yeah. need to be some things there. And also, I think, Brian, you would agree with me that um, lots of times tradition is often uh, more important than the realities of thinking it through. And people get wed to the tradition. And I'd hate to see us begin to fight over some things unnecessarily and possibly create um, some dissension that doesn't even need to be there. So mm -hmm. that's really what my concern reflects of, too. Brian, I, I, would, I would also suggest to you that special interest affiliates pay their pay dues like everybody else does. Therefore, A, have a right to a vote, but B, I think because they pay dues, they believe that they have more of a right um, to push the particular political values that they may have as a special interest affiliates because they're full-fledged members of ACB and full-fledged special affiliate members that with, with voting power that goes along with that. I, I hear and understand that. By the way, I, I hope those who are listening tonight understand that my goal in, in throwing out these issues the way I have 
is not because I have a solution. I just think that there <laughs> are growing <laughs> problems right. that we can't just ignore right. by saying right. it's too difficult to even talk about. Nothing think, should be too true. difficult for us to talk about. One of my concerns, Pam, that maybe mm -hmm. you could answer for me too here, you mentioned multicultural affairs. Mm -hmm. One of my concerns with special interest groups is um, that it divides us. And I'm going to use a different organization, um, uh, Next Generation. Mm -hmm. You know how much ACB has struggled over the years to try to get younger people involved in ACB. It's mm -hmm. a problem for every, every affiliate we have. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we hear from young people is how difficult it is to get yourself in a position where you feel that your voice is really being heard in your state affiliate, your special interest, as a matter of your age and inexperience. Mm -hmm. So what we end up doing is creating leaders who are very active in a, an affiliate for young leaders. Mm -hmm. And those then do not become available to their state affiliates or their special interest affiliates because they're putting their energy into this other into next affiliate. Right. And it, be right. it becomes a serious, uh, you know, how do I put it? We divide ourselves in so many ways that we don't concentrate our strengths as much as I think we could. And I uh, think we I could always worried about things like um, black student unions when I was in mm -hmm. community college government. Mm -hmm. right. Black student unions. Well, I really want to give those who are in the minority community an opportunity to real feel part of things. But I don't want it to be a way to drain off that great energy into this one-sided thing so that then all the other clubs don't have black people involved in those clubs mm -hmm. because there's only so many hours in the day and so much energy you can put toward things. And but I see, worry that's... that that's part of the negative or the downside. Right. That's why things. what we're talking about requires very careful consideration right. because of the types of issues that you're talking about. And that's why we have to create an environment in which we can talk and yes, consider absolutely. and reason and, and, with one another and yeah. develop. And I think you have to be intentional in this. You've right. got to develop the strategies. OK, you've got to develop the, the infrastructure, if you will that makes sure that what you're talking about doesn't happen. Because if you think about it, some of our special interests of fields, I'm just going to tell the truth, they are small, okay? Yes. And that's part of the reason that we have had to promote, besides it being a good idea, so much co-sponsoring of convention events. Right. Because you and I both know we were having events where there were, if it, some affiliates, not all of them special interest affiliates, you'd go there and there were six people in the room. If that many. So one of the strategies we started developing was more co-sponsoring. And you'll see now we've got four, five, and six special interest affiliates exactly. sponsoring the same event and primarily so we can get the people there. So that's why I'm saying we have to pay attention and we have to be intentional. One last thing, and I'm just going to lay it out there. And right. it is critical that the leadership of the organization address these issues consistently. Right. So we have uh, about a minute and a half left. 
And uh, what I'd like more piece I, of meat under the this guy dog user's table. <laughs> make it quick. and that is so what yeah, what happens, Paul, when you have conferences within conferences? When uh B fly holds such an intense thing that it's like a mini right. conference within ACB, right. Randall Shepherd's vendors, uh, citizens with low vision, guide dog users even talks about theirs as being a convention held at the same time as the ACB convention. Uh, well, almost <clears throat> creating a an arm's length distance from the, and I don't even like the term parent organization. Right. But I don't have another one to offer. Right. So first, let me thank both um, you and Pam for making this second hour so exciting. Second, uh, let me say to everybody who's listening, if Tuesday Topics has its way, what we've done is put these issues out on the table. I think it's important that special interest affiliates um, and the leadership of our organization recognize that these are important enough issues that they need to be dealt with. I'd like to thank everyone who has joined us on Tuesday Topics for making this an exciting and effective exercise. You guys are the best. Good night.